0: Welcome to the inaugural podcast of Share the Love Stories. I am Amelia Arthur, I'm an Episcopal priest in Edina, Minnesota, and I've been thinking a bunch during this pandemic about the stories that we love to tell and about the fact that a lot of us have probably told the stories uh, that we love to tell to the people who live in our households multiple times at this point during the pandemic. And so, as we get into the holidays and beyond, uh, one of the things that I hope will be really life-giving is for uh, me to invite people to share their stories that some, somehow, some way, have to do with uh, love, because love is, after all, the baseline foundation of the gospel. Right? Love for God, love for a neighbor, love for self, love for family, friends, etc. Love for the world. So today, in this test episode. Uh, We'll be talking about uh, foods of obligation, we'll be talking about um, Canada, probably, which is really random, Um, and you'll also just be witnessing a fun um, friendship, getting to catch up. So my guest today is the Reverend Dwayne Nettles, he's also an Episcopal priest in New Orleans, Louisiana. So welcome, Dwayne. Hello. All right, so I have this recording. (laughs) and the reason that it took me a minute to let you in was because i recorded a little um pilot kind of welcome as to what this entire kind of zoom cast project might be uh so thanks for being the inaugural guest um uh oh you don't have to be muted you can be you can be unmuted there.
1: Well, my my neighbor i think is chopping wood at this exact moment that okay. we're doing this oh
0: so okay sometimes-
1: Sometimes I might mute myself, just because <laughs> this is well, the abandoned I, house <laughs> behind us, is shed, and it, I'm just realizing in this, thankfully it's, it's all audio, because otherwise, yeah. Would, yeah, I look like I live deep in the woods, where we keep people.
0: I mean, I did tell them you were from New Orleans, so I mean, really, that could be, you <laughs> know,
1: part of the story. Part of the story. Yeah.
0: So I did promise a recap of our foods of obligation conversation because it was really hilarious. And actually every time since then, I've used that phrase foods of obligation with Mike, with any number of folks, I think it's probably been three, but everyone has had the same reaction, which is that they love that phrase, right? Um, because obligation, I think sometimes carries a really negative connotation.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: Um, but I don't think it has to, right. I mean, I think we're obligated to do some really like wonderful things. And I mean, taking it back to even just this idea of like, love is the foundational, you know, piece of, of the gospel, right? Like as Christians, if we're obligated to, you know, love God, love neighbor, love self, um, just because our love is, is part of our obligations as Christians doesn't make it a bad thing.
1: I mean, if you always did the things that you wanted to choose, we, none of us would have made it out of like, you know, probably being 10 because we would just, we'd be full of sugar and fats and die. And so like yeah. things that are our obligations at the same time, sometimes just means like, I think like sometimes an obligation can just be the jump start. Yeah. Right. To do the right thing.
0: And sometimes,
1: yeah, like I'm obligated to take care of my children. It is an obligation. It's one I love, but it is also an obligation. So I agree with you. I don't think obligation is always, it has this negative connotation, but in fact, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's my type A, uh, I like to work kind of personality, but I'm like, obligation isn't all bad. Like my work obligation is great. I love to work.
0: Right. And our obligations, I mean, I think of it as just like obligation puts it's us on the right pathway, right? Like like being obligated Uh to something like steers us in a particular direction. And then we're totally in charge of like what our attitude looks like, (laughs) right? And how we live into that. And so (laughs) that's probably like a perfect segue Uh for this foods of obligation idea, (laughs) which again, (laughs) to recap (laughs) is, you know, (laughs) Everyone has some story of like their great, great aunt Zelda who made whatever that was always on the table for some holiday and about the way in which like that particular food always showed up with like a particular group of people around a table and whether that food was consumed (laughs) um, because of obligation (laughs) with a good attitude (laughs) or not, (laughs) right? But everybody's got some story like that. so. Um, tell me, uh, well, tell us what, uh, what is that for you?
1: Oh, yeah. So, uh, a food of obligation for me for the longest time was like my grandmother always wanted to make this gelatin pretzel salad <laughs> that had, it's kinda, I don't really, you know, like oh. you would take a perfectly crunchy pretzel. And you okay. would make it into something soggy, semi-soggy in a gelatin. This is this is absolutely straight out of like pers- post World War II. We've beat the Nazis, so we're going <laughs> to eat as much gelatin as we can. Apparently, this is how America celebrated beating the Nazis. And so we're going to
0: take all of their German pretzels and we're going to make them soggy
1: exactly (laughs) because
0: we beat the Nazis
1: (laughs) we beat the Nazis (laughs) so you take pretzels and it has uh in gelatin and then I'm trying to remember there is a layer of cool whip because as much manufacturing as you can as you can insert with all the work of food that you would do from scratch and so um and then it had uh if I remember correctly it had cocktail fruit in it so canned fruit
0: yeah okay
1: fruit cocktail And, um, and then there were uh, crushed pecans. So you would take like 10, I guess now it'd be like $10 a pound pecans, right, and you would add it atop Cool Whip, gelatin, and half soggy pretzels. Okay. And, um, and then you, and then you don't eat it right away, because you want that Cool Whip to settle and set up, so that, along with the gelatin. So it's this multi-stage process
0: okay so okay so just so walk walk us through what this looks like so there's a jello mold of some sort
1: no 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 not in a mold no you would put it in a nine by 13 pan because we had a big family okay like so they cut it in squares and scoop it out like almost like it's a gelatin pie
0: like a brownie pan or brownie yeah okay so a a nine by 13 pan right with what? First, like a layer of these pretzels? You would
1: crush, you would crush the pretzels and then okay. you would in the, spread the fruit cocktail and then pour the strawberry gelatin. Strawberry gelatin. <laughs> and then you would, you would kind of stir just a little bit and then let that set. And that's okay. how the pretzels become partly soggy.
0: Okay. Is
1: because as the gelatin sets, then they stop becoming more soggy later that day or the next day, then you would add the layer of Cool Whip, a thin layer. So you might have like, probably like an inch and a half of gelatin. And then you'd okay. have like a half an inch of Cool Whip. Okay. And, um, and then you would sprinkle chopped, finely chopped pecans across the top of it. Very fancy.
0: Okay, so you let that like bottom layer of pretzel, fruit cocktail, and Jello, you let that set and then you yes. add the Cool Whip and the pecans on top. Yes. So it sounds like the antithesis of what would mean that Paul Hollywood would give you a handshake on Great British Baking, right? Like he'd be like, "Um, these layers have definitely uh, just congealed together, right? I mean, uh, this is like, a, this, is, this is not a Paul Hollywood handshake sort of layer situation, no, right? No, no. Okay, no, but you don't
1: not, mix it either. No, no, okay. no. You don't mix it. You don't mix it. Okay. You let it almost like, probably if my family weren't <laughs> so large, and uh, and had wanted to display this, say on the table, I think you would have made it into a trifle, and you could have done multiple okay. layers in a in a glass trifle dish.
0: Okay. So then. So then, then this is cut like it's a lemon square or a brownie or something like that. Right. Yes. And And then take a
1: spatula and serve.
0: I was going to say, right, a spatula. Okay. Yeah. Onto a, like a little dessert plate or something, or is this part of the main food? I mean, is this a dessert or is this just like an accompaniment on the side of your plate? Like, does it go next to the cranberry sauce?
1: It, 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 uh, it definitely could, it was up to you. It could show up at the salad course okay, or at the dessert course.
0: Okay. And so where did you eat it? I, uh,
1: I, I always feel like sweet belongs at the end. So I always ate it at the end. Okay. But not everybody did.
0: So you're not a dessert kind of person.
1: No, no, <laughs> I like to end on a sweet note. So that's why I always like to eat dessert. It's not that I'm opposed to it. I don't. I don't. I have a moral uh, objection. I don't judge people that do. The problem is I would just eat dessert twice.
0: Okay. Okay. So fair. I, I would too. I get. I get that. A, yeah. So, yeah. So then, just like paint the pictures. So would this be on like a buffet table, and people are like coming down a line and like putting stuff on their plate or dessert plate? Is this how many people were at this? table or at these gatherings like who what did it look like
1: oh uh so my um uh, my grandparents did not like to compete with their in-laws okay. so uh and they wanted the entire family there there were five children uh with the grandchildren 13. eventually there were great-grandchildren i'm born to the youngest son so Okay. Uh, the great grandchildren started coming along when my sister, my youngest sister, was born, and so uh, and each group had their own table. So my in my grandparents' dining room was this large dining room table that comfortably sat um, all, the children and my grandparents. My grandparents. It was a wide table. It had been made in my mm-hmm. grandmother's grandfather's uh, lumber mill. Um, he owned a large lumber mill here in new Orleans and uh, they used furniture and this was made and the table could stretch out to if you stretched it all the way out could seat like 16 comfortably Um, but two people could sit next to each other at the head of the table and that's where my grandparents sat in two uh, beautiful uh, chairs uh, that her family had brought over from France and so uh, they one was a little shorter than the other one so my grandfather very you know very much the time even though it was my grandmother's family furniture uh he sat in the <laughs> king's chair and she sat in the queen's chair basically yeah, so I was gonna uh, say it
0: was like the king and queen right of their it was little...
1: absolutely yes and you were so my grandparents the way they got everybody there was they always moved their holidays off the holiday okay and uh and you were expected it was a command performance you were expected to be there on that date and, um, so sometimes we did Christmas on Martin Luther King junior weekend okay. and my grandmother would turn off all the heat in the dining room so that the tree would stay fresh all the way through. <laughs> um, and so, so the, the children and my grandparents sat at the uh, large dining room table. My grandmother had China, like a place setting for 30 or something like that. So everyone down to the smallest children ate off of the China. Okay. And then they had large round breakfast table that sat twelve. Okay. So the grandchildren sat at that. We'd squeeze all thirteen in there and okay. then uh, and it had a large lazy Susie in the middle. So okay. the food was laid out in the kitchen along the countertop um, and uh, and then also on the lazy Susan in awesome. the middle of the of the table. Okay, and, so it's, um,
0: so it's like yeah. at this point or from your memories, so your grandparents were, like grandparent age, probably, right? I mean, at, at, like as, as a child, your grandparents were probably what yeah. in
1: their 60s? They were in their 60s. And, okay. but they, you know, as people in the 80s, they looked older. So right. now, if anybody were listening to this, I would go like, they look like grandparents in their 80s now. Okay. Like my grandfather was like mostly bald with this ring of white hair around, <laughs> He was very, he was six foot four had grown up on a farm doing manual farm labor. They didn't have a tractor or anything. So he plowed a field like it was 19th century with a horse and a hand plow. So he had these broad shoulders, okay. which, uh, which uh, when we read my grandparents' letters, learned that that was definitely something my grandmother loved. She was a smaller woman. She was maybe five foot five. And uh, Always yeah. wore heels. Always okay. wore heels till the day she died. And, uh, and a dress. And the dress always had to go right below the knee because the knee was the ugliest thing on a woman. So right. this was my grandmother's. I mean, opinion. that was
0: that was that generation, right? I mean,
1: oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so my my grandmother always dressed nicely, but no one else was expected to dress nicely. She had somehow given up on trying to pass that on to the rest of the family. So, but you still, uh, you know, dressed well. You just didn't have to dress up. There was no dressing. Uh, okay, because her so children wouldn't go for it.
0: Okay, so it's like your sixty-something grandparents at the head of this table, and then the mm-hmm. five, their five children with their spouses. So that's like that right. adult group, and then you and your twelve cousins around this, you know, table with a lazy Susan, and then you know, as time went on, then was there eventually a great grandchild table? Like a there was. real so, like kids table?
1: Oh yeah. And so once the grandchildren grew up, we all stuck to our table. Okay. And, um, and then uh, there was then a great grandchildrens table. Um, and uh, by the time they, they came along, some of the grandchildren uh, did not always appear for the command performance, which we knew they were then judged for that. And we also knew that their spouses were blamed for it. And so- um, You mean like the, I non,
0: the non-blood relatives, it was clearly their fault.
1: It was their fault because they were showing up before they got married. And uh, and so uh, we joked that my grandmother had family and outlaws. She did not have in-laws. So,
0: yeah, we say that in our family too, yeah. So
1: uh, some people who would normally be an in-law could, were considered family, but if they chose not to participate or really dig in, then they were outlaws. And so that was their family and outlaws. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so because of that, some of the spouses then fit at the grandkids table and, um, and then the, uh, and then the great grandkids, there was a folding table for them. And um, and so in that family, uh, I grew up. Grandparents always ate last; they were the host. Uh, then that was followed by the parents' generation. Mm-hmm. Then that was followed by the older grandchildren, and then teenage boys ate last. They went in the <laughs> line last,
0: <laughs> of course.
1: And so this was, and it was, you. This was just how it happened. And so um, I mean, every get together, we that's how we ate. And it was rather kind of, even though it wasn't formal, it was orderly, Mm -hmm. but always very jovial and joking. Uh, My dad's family is a big, uh, they love to laugh and Mm -hmm. tell stories and joke around with one another and kid. And so there's always inevitably my dad's older brother, Uncle Byron is like yelling some smart aleck. Uh, comment across uh, the room. You can say
0: smartass. ass, that's fine. That's great.
1: Okay, so smart. I didn't <laughs> you know where we were at on this podcast. <laughs> oh, it's Mr. Arthur.
0: Hello, oh, Mr. Arthur.
1: do you mm-hmm. have an ascot today or something? No, <laughs> I
2: see. I think it's a turtleneck with the flannel, and I thought I looked very like <laughs> 1970s villain chic. And I've been told it is not a good look, is what I've been told.
1: Well, I wouldn't say villain chic, I would say minnesota chic uh so oh, yeah. uh or
0: canadian oh you know chic, maybe or canadian
1: chic you could be from uh uh toronto uh for sure you could no. do that yeah
0: oh, ottawa don't you know you're from ontario
1: right are you uh are you sipping on apple brandy down at the, the
2: fireplace oh yeah i eating snicker salad <laughs> wait
0: what is that
2: so Snicker salad is a Minnesota dish so, talking about, talking about possibly
0: another food of obligation. Talking
2: about food of obligation. <laughs> yes. Um, it is basically whipped cream and little chopped up Snickers bars and all sorts of other things mixed together. And that is served uh, as a side dish for main meals.
1: How did you learn this?
2: Uh, because my secretary was talking about Snicker salad. And I said, what the hell is a Snicker salad? <laughs> yeah.
1: So are you all going to have Snicker salad this year, Mike? No. Are you going to bring that to the table to go no. on the side? My,
2: my secretary did say that um she and her whole family have lutefisk uh, every every Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they don't like it. The mom likes it. But that's just something that they have to have. And it wouldn't be Thanksgiving or Christmas without lutefisk on the table.
1: And they all eat it?
2: No. The mom eats it. Oh. Because... Nobody really wants fish cured in lie, but you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, we're we're fully embracing. Okay, there's so many tangential directions I can go right now. We're fully embracing the fact that we live in Minnesota. Um, yes, also, clearly. Also, one topic of conversation we're gonna get to is do you know this musician from Canada that was uh, like cool in the 70s and 80s, Stan Rogers?
1: No. How is somebody named Stan Rogers? Cool. No offense to the Stans and the Rogers of the world.
0: Yeah. Well, so okay, so we'll get to that. But so um, so here's my question about all those people in this one house, you know, eating all this food, including this pretzel jello salad. So you kind of were getting to it that you were saying, you know, they love to laugh. It was really jovial, maybe. But um, so yeah, so like what did love look like for that particular part of your family of origin like
1: oh I think it's I think it's at the very beginning of the story which is that um Christmas Thanksgiving Easter could all be moved so that the whole family could be there because love to my grandparents that I really get from them is it's showing up yeah It, it is it is uh incarnational uh, if we want to use the the, yeah, the let's
0: the let's theological go word right yeah.
1: It is incarnational it is showing up. It is being there in the flesh. Um, I come from a family uh, that uh, that the men um, you hug, you kiss each other on the cheek uh, that was always the case. I can still uh, feel my grandfather's whiskers. It didn't matter if he had shaved like, 30 minutes prior he had whiskers and of course he had gone gray by the time he was in his 30s and as anybody who uh developed some gray whiskers on their face they know it's it is the ultimate sandpaper uh, are gray whiskers mm-hmm. and his whole beard was gray and uh, and whiskery and uh I don't think that's a word but I'm gonna use it and so um um uh, and so it, it, it was it's showing up it's being there um, they were the kind of people that my grandfather, um, my grandparents woke up about the same time, but my grandfather was the one that that made it out of the bedroom first. And he, the first thing he would do is, uh, in his robe, is he would walk to the front door of their house, unlock the door, obviously, go out, pick up his uh, Times-Picayune paper, and uh, walk back in the house. And he didn't lock it, and uh, the door was locked again uh, around dinner time. Nice. And anyone just, uh, you only knocked or rang the doorbell one time. And from then on, they would instruct you that you just walked in. And some nice. inevitably people would think that they were just being polite. And my grandfather who had this deep bass voice, um, would, would, ki- would very much kind of scold you if you made him answer the door a second time. You knew by the third time that you could just walk through the door nice. and, um, uh, and you would, you know, and, uh. Who knows, I mean, depending on the time of day where you would find them. I mean, gardening, uh, they both love to garden and uh, you could often find them in the garden Um, or uh, my grandmother sewing or my grandfather doing woodworking in the Mm -hmm. garage. But they loved for people to show up and uh, they were always ready to feed them. So both my grandparents cooked. Uh, My grandfather was the uh, uh, 10th child out of 12. And so he was very close to his older sisters and to his mother. And so, in fact, when my grandparents got married, my grandfather knew how to cook, which is pretty extraordinary for 1941. My grandfather was a cook. My grandmother, we discovered her recipes from back then included boiling a hot dog. And it included like to fill the pot with so much water and to bring, you know, like the <laughs> process of making a hot dog was on, an, on a recipe car. By the time right. I knew my grandmother, she's a very good cook, but apparently, Uh, my aunts and uncles assure me that that was not always the case. It was, uh, it definitely took her quite some time to get to that point. So they would spend days leading up to a holiday, get together, uh, baking everyone's favorite, uh, you know, like I loved mincemeat pie, I always have. And so uh, my grandmother would make a mincemeat pie for me and for my aunt Judy and for herself because we were the three. So there were three mincemeat pies. And, um, and so were some they, things were like- Were they
0: a- like little? Like- no,
1: no, my grandparents didn't do anything little. They had three refrigerators <laughs> and three freezers. So no, my, like a normal city lot, like your property lot, my grandfather had a garden <laughs> that size. They didn't do anything small, these people. So, um, so they, they loved uh, family and friends. They loved getting in, getting together and, uh, inviting people. And, um, and so, but they made everybody's favorite. So whatever your favorite was. So if it was a cake, then they might just make like a large cake, uh, of it. And then they would split that up among people. But if it was a pie, my, my brother always got a a full pumpkin pie. That was his pie. You could take a slice out of it and then eat the rest of it when he brought it home. And, um, and so, in and all the different uh, dishes, it, it was, it, there was um, sausage uh, in one cornbread dressing because some of the in-laws didn't like uh, seafood and some of the grandchildren didn't, but then there was always this dark um, oyster dressing that my grandmother mm. made, that all of the ingredients yeah. went through the food mill um, the meat grinder. Yeah. So the carrots, everything were these tiny and you would cook it Mm. till it was like this darkened roux color.
2: Um,
1: and, um, and so, yeah, there were, there were all these various foods, but then there was, so there was that, that salad, there was the, uh, the broccoli and, uh, raisin with mayo, Mm. uh, salad, which I actually love to this day. Um, when I can go to like if I can go to like a cafeteria, you can you can be sure <laughs> to find that with all yeah. the other old people who are in their eighties and nineties, and, and me getting the salad.
0: I mean, that's why you are so good with all of your like ninety-year-old versioners. <laughs> right? Because y'all can right. go to the cafeteria together, <laughs> right?
1: Right, and we can have the broccoli raisin salad together. But that's that. But going back, I digress uh, with it. Is that but but. But love was showing up. Love was really tangible. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was, it was uh, really doing these kind of thoughtful things for one another. My grandfather grew up in absolute poverty. And so <clears throat> my grandmother very much adopted his family um, and very much was much more of a nettles than she was uh, a two juice or a loat, which was her family um, in so many ways. And so, because out of that poverty, you did not buy things for people. Mm-hmm. Um, everything w- w- they were, um, it was handmade. Uh, my grandparents' den was full of all the chakis that had been made um, by at various points. So the the melted bead art hung um, that one of the grandchildren had done, and and so there were all these. Uh, Touching moments. The Christmas tree always had an orange light. There was a string of those large bulb colored lights, Mm -hmm. and there was um, and my grandmother would remove one from a very prominent, like middle position on the tree, and she had this little box, like little jewelry box, with a tissue paper um, that had uh, the one of those large light bulbs that had been painted orange by my father when he started doing car models. Okay, and. and this thing lasted for, it only went away when there was a fire in the house and she lost all the Christmas decorations. Uh, but for 40 years, this light bulb kept turning back on for 40 years straight. And then would at the end of the Christmas season, would get, un- get unscrewed and put back in the box. These were the things that she loved, the like Christmas cone art. Uh, I mean, the pine cone art that we had made as grandchildren one year and that went on the tree. And so the, the tree just hung with all of this homemade ornaments and decorations. And so like cooking, you know, everything that was put out were things that people loved.
0: Right. Uh, That all of that was an act of love, right? Like to put all of that together every year, whether you're talking about decorations on the tree, you know, opening the tissue box, right. To put that light bulb or making those foods that, were just these taste memories, you know, um, that all of that, I mean, what strikes me as you're talking is that it seems like during this pandemic, um, at our best, those are some of the things we're recovering, right. Oh yeah. At our best, like we're recovering, like cooking together you know, uh, doing doing a family game night or craft night or, you know, what have you, right? But like that we're recovering this idea of like the being together and like these things that become this act of love because it's about like the joy and the storytelling and the laughter and not really about whether like the pearler bead angel is really that beautiful.
1: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like the whole tree came together to be beautiful. But honestly, if I describe it in individual segments, you'd go like, wow, orange lights. That's, you know, uh, but when it all came together, it was this, you know, beautiful tree of love.
0: Well, that's it for this inaugural episode of Share the Love Stories podcast. I am the Reverend Amelia Arthur. Special thanks to my guest, the Reverend Dwayne Nettles. We'll meet you back here next time for part two of Foods of Obligation. Until then, take care and keep sharing the love.